Amen. That's a beautiful song of a, just such a wonderful message. Come to Jesus and rest in him. That's a new hymn that's distributed by the Gettys. It was written by Jordan Coughlin, who uh, I actually had a class with and uh, was able to talk to him a little bit about his songwriting process and how he does it. And he is a, he's a wonderful man of God. And I just love just about everything he writes. So we're going to be looking in... Uh, we're going to be looking in, in really two passages this morning, and I don't have a PowerPoint for you. I, I wanted you just to be able to listen this morning and just kind of um, absorb what we're going to be talking about, because uh, last week we talked about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that those who hear my words and do them are the ones who build their house on the rock. And, you know, we hear that all the time, the need to be in the word, the need to be, the need to do the word. And I think it's fair to say for a lot of people that I know I'm supposed to read the word, but I don't really know how. I don't really know how to get the most out of it. I you know, for a lot of us, I, I think that, um, we read maybe two or three chapters in the morning and then we close up the Bible. And, and I think if all of us are honest, I think uh, most of what we read has already escaped our mind as soon as we, as soon as we close the book. Do you, does anyone else have that problem? I, I have that problem. Does anyone else have that problem? I think if we were honest, we would all admit from time to time and so, or some people will say, and I've heard this before, that I don't know how to get from hearing God's word to actually doing it or obeying it. I, I hear all of these great principles that I know I'm supposed to follow, but I don't know how to get from A to B. I don't know how to get from hearing it and understanding it to actually doing it. There's, there's kind of a missing link between those two. Uh, one person, uh, back when we were doing our hermeneutics class uh, during COVID, one person uh, in that class got really frustrated. They said, you know, I, 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 re I try to read the Bible every day. I try to be faithful. But if I were honest, I would have to admit that it's boring. Because I know for a lot of people, they read the Bible and you're supposed to get those aha moments out of it. And I never seem to get those. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And that was the whole reason why she took the class. And I think that these are honest questions. I think that they're common questions. I think if all of us are honest, we've probably struggled with this more often than we want to admit. And so uh, we always talk about reading the word and doing the word. And yet we never really talk about how to find the missing link between those two. And so that's what I wanna do this morning is I wanna bridge the gap for you between hearing and listening to a sermon, hearing and reading the Bible and, and actually doing it. So this is gonna be a very practical sermon this morning. Uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna be, in fact, I'm, I'm actually gonna encourage you to kind of practice what we're talking about while we do it. And so really the idea here, the missing link that is missing between reading our Bible and living our lives is, is what the Bible calls meditation. And, and that is unfortunate because, not unfortunate the Bible calls it, but it's unfortunate that it's become kind of a, a missing word in the church today because when you think of meditation, what do you think of? Yama, 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 You know, sitting in a, you can't, you can't call it what we used to call it, but a crisscross applesauce, you know, and kind of floating it. I can't do that that long, but uh, <laughs> glad I did it on my good knee. But um, <laughs> that's what we think of when we think of meditation, right? We think of kind of a Middle Eastern, Far Eastern kind of process of emptying your mind, which by the way, I wonder if you can really do that because if you're emptying your mind, what are you thinking about? Emptying your mind, right? So I don't know that you can, if your mind were truly emptied, I think you'd, I think you'd be brain dead. I'm not, I'm not really sure how that works. But, but anyway, so, uh, so that's not what we're talking about. In fact, when, when biblical meditation, when we talk about biblical meditation, we're actually talking about the exact opposite. That we're not talking about emptying our mind, but we're talking about filling it. 
filling it with, with either God's works or what we're gonna be talking about today is God's word. We're filling it. And by the way, all of you know how to meditate biblically. Every single one of you do. And my guess is you've probably done it many times in your life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever worried about something? And what do you do when you worry? Let's say uh, I, remember a, I remember a test I had in uh, undergrad in college. And this test, it was like, it was one of these, it was like 60% of my grade and it had like four questions on it, four essay questions. It was one of those tests. It was in one of my language courses. And I was so worried about that test. And you know what I did? I thought about that test all week. I thought about, okay, if I make this grade on it, I can come out of the class and maintain my A. But if I make this grade on it, I can get, I'll get a B. But this is the lowest grade I have to make on it and, and still pass the course. And I thought about, okay, if I don't pass it, then this might happen. Or if I do pass it with this grade, then this might happen. If, if this happens, then that, what am I doing? I'm thinking about it from every possible angle and I'm dwelling on it again and again and again and using my imagination to, to think about all the things that could go wrong, what it will look like, what it will be, all of those things. Beloved, do you know what I'm doing? I'm meditating. That's what I'm doing. The problem with worry is that I'm meditating on the wrong thing. I'm meditating on something that might go wrong instead of meditating on the Lord and his works and his word. So all of us know how to meditate. All of us know how to. We just tend to meditate on the wrong things. And so what I wanna do this morning is I want to show you how you can meditate properly on scripture and then turn that into a biblical response. And there's a lot of ways that you can do it. I've, some, work, some work well for others and they won't work for some. And there's different ways that I've taught it over the years. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, I've, I've kind of come to questions, you know, uh, what is our duty, what should I do? Uh, character, who should I be? Uh, discernment, what should I believe? And goals, what should I aim for? That, that's one way to do it. Uh, one thing that I'm always thinking about when I'm writing sermons is because this is kind of what our church is built on, these three foundations, is what do I need to know about this? What do I need to, how can I live this? And how can I share it? Because that's what we talk about all the time here, right? Knowing the faith, living the faith, and sharing the faith. And so when I'm writing a sermon, I'm constantly thinking, okay, what do you need to know? How can you live this? And how can you share this with others? Uh, and I don't always bring all three of them out, but I'm usually trying to bring out at least one of the three and kind of majoring on it. And so, uh, but I have found a way out of Philippians that every, every time I've taught this to someone, it seems to, has really, it seems to have really helped them. And it's, and, it's, and it's easy. It's something that everybody can do. It's something that will stretch your mind but it will also not be so hard that you feel lost in it. And so, and that is doing what I call the Philippians 4-8 questions. Now, I've, I've talked to you about this before and I've mentioned it before. And ever since I've started kind of mentioning it, since I've kind of caught on to this, and by the way, it's not original with me. If you ever read Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, you will find that he mentions this. He doesn't really go into it like I'm going to, but he does mention this. So I do wanna say this is not original with me and, and that's okay, but I, I wanna give credit where it's due. And so um, what we're talking about here is that when we come to a passage of scripture, we take Philippians 4, 8, and we use that to help us study a passage of scripture. And so uh, all of you know Philippians 4.8. In fact, I know a couple of you, you've told me multiple times that this is one of your favorite passages, if not your favorite passage of scripture, uh, at least part of it. And so, um, so let's just read this very quickly, Philippians 4.8. And uh, we're not gonna stay here, but we're gonna use this as a model uh, to, to do what we're gonna do. So here's what it says. It says, finally, brothers and, and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, did you notice at the very end, Paul says, think about these things. So, so Paul is actually teaching you here how to meditate. He's teaching you here how to think deeply about the things of God, either it comes out of the word or whether it happens in creation or through circumstances. He's teaching you how to think like a Christian. You know, the church has not been very good at that, in all honesty. And I don't mean our church. I mean just the American church in general. We're very good at telling you what not to think. We're, we're very good at telling you what not to watch, what not to wear, what not to, uh, what not to drink, what not to eat, what not to, you know, it sounds like an auctioneer. Don't, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, right? Uh, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date the girls who do, Right? We're, uh, we're very good at that. And there is merit to those things. I don't want to discount those things, okay? There is merit there. But the problem is, is that we're not very good at replacing that with telling you what to think about, what to watch, what to listen to, what to all of the other things. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's telling you how to think as a Christian would. He's telling you how to process life and how to get the most from it. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. That's the introduction. So here's what we're gonna do. Do you guys remember a couple of months ago when we went through the Lord's Prayer and I just kind of came up with a, a random prayer request and then we kind of ran it through the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer to, to kind of show you how to use that as a tool to teach you how to pray? We're gonna follow that same model this morning, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take kind of a random passage of scripture and we're gonna run it through these questions and I'm gonna show you how to use them as a means to meditate on that passage. And so, and of course the sky's the limit here. We've got, I think, what is it? Uh, 1,189 chapters to choose from and any one of them could be benefited from, uh, from going through this process. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn to the genealogy, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what, what, we, what we are gonna do, I thought the easiest way to do this would be to turn to John 3.16. Is that a little better? Okay, so we're gonna to turn to John 3.16. And uh, many of you uh, probably don't even need to turn there because you know by heart what it says. What we're gonna do is we are going to run that through these Philippians 4.8 questions, uh, just like what I'm talking about this morning. So you can kind of see a model of how to do that, okay? And then what I wanna challenge you to do is when you go home this afternoon, I want you to find maybe a passage of scripture that's meaningful to you or, um, or just uh, turn anywhere in the Bible and just kind of use, use this model and kind of see how it works, okay? And so uh, are we ready? Okay, let's go ahead and pull up. Let's read this together from the board. I, I know you know it, but let's, let's all get in the same translation, okay? So here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna run that verse through these Philippian 4-8 questions and we're gonna stretch our minds a little bit to see everything we can in this verse, all right? So you ready? You set? Here we go. All right, so number one, first Philippians 4-8 question we need to ask is, what is true in this passage? Remember he says, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is uh, those other things. And so let's begin by what is true in this passage? What, what truth is it demonstrating or what truth is it teaching? And there are several things we could say here, okay? Pretty much the entire verse is a verse that is pointing out truth about God and about Christ. So there's, so there's really three main statements we could say that for God so loved the world. So the first thing we know that is true from this text is that God loves the world, all right? Number two, he gave his only son. That's the second thing we know about this text. 
he gave his only son. Number three, whoever believes in him will not perish. So that, that's a third statement you could say, a third truth. You will not perish when you believe in the son, but whoever believes in the son will have everlasting life. That's, that's a fourth truth you can find in this statement. And so what you wanna do here is you wanna make it personal. So what is true about me in this text? What is true about the world in this text? What is truth about the world that I know? Number one, what is the first truth I see here? That God loves me. Are you part of the world? Yeah. So God loves you. Number two, what's the other text we see? That he gave his only son, all right? that whoever believes in him, now have I believed in Christ this morning? Yes. So what truths do I see here? What's true? I will never perish and I have eternal life. And so what is true about this text? God loves me and he gave his only son so that because I have believed in him, I will never perish and I have eternal life. You want an aha moment? There it is right there. Let's move on. That's just the first question. Number two, what is honorable about this text? Now, this one, this one can be a little confusing. And when I started mentioning this, I started getting questions on how to do this. And this is the, this is the number one question I get is, what does the text mean by honorable? Or, what is it, or some of your translations may say noble. What, it, what does that mean? What, what am I aiming for there? Well, honorable, you wanna think worthy, okay? What is worthy? What is above reproach? in this text. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What is worthy about that? What do I see in that text that is honorable? What do I see in that text that is worthy? But you could give a negative example. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. Are we worthy of that? No. So you can see a negative example there. But what's a positive example? By the way, it's very popular today, uh, especially from teachers like Stephen Furtick and, and uh, some of these others. It's very popular to say that Jesus died in order to show you how worthy you are. That is not what this text is saying. Beloved, we're not the worthy ones here. Who's the worthy one? God is, and what's he worthy of? It shows his worth, that God loved the unworthy. That's love. It's not hard to love a worthy person. That's not hard at all. You wanna know what's Christ-like? Is to love someone who is unworthy of your love. People say all the time that God's love is unconditional. Beloved, God's love is better than that. It's not unconditional, it's contra-conditional. He has every reason not to love us, and yet he does anyway. And so what is worthy about this? What do we see about his worth in this text? How worthy is our God? Think uh, Revelation chapter 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. <clears throat> Think about Revelation 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. What is it about this text that makes God worthy of our thanksgiving, worthy of our praise? that he loved us so much that he gave his son so that we might not perish by believing in him, we can have eternal life. I'd say that makes God pretty worthy. Don't you think so? Amen. So what is worthy? What is honorable about this text? And what can I do today to show God's worth to my family, to my friends, at my job, at my school, what can I do based on this text that shows God's worth 
that I can share God's worth with my, in my life. That's how you get from text to application. You're thinking about this. You're stretching your mind, okay? And so what is honorable? Number three, what is just? Now, again, think here righteousness. What is righteous in this text? And so God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What do we see here that exalts and, show, and shows us the righteousness of God? What do we see here that shows his righteousness? Let me ask you a question. What did God give his son for us to do? When God sent his son to earth, what did he send him to do? You know the answer to this. Jesus came to die. And when, and when Jesus was on the cross, beloved, yes, we see the love of God, but we also see the holy justice of God being poured out on Jesus Christ for our sins. We see his holy and righteous wrath that if God left every single one of us condemned he would be absolutely right to do so. He would be absolutely just. Some people say today that, you know, in order for God to be fair, he must fill in the blank. You know what? You can keep your fair. I don't want it. You know what is fair? Fair is me burning in hell for all eternity. That's fair. That's justice. I don't want justice. I want grace. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. And what I see here in the justice of God is I see his divine, righteous, holy, and perfect justice being poured out, not on me, but on his only son in substitution for me. That's what I see here. He gave his only son. It's that, it's that God's holy justice displayed on Calvary. It's this tension that we have in the Old Testament that the Old Testament is never able to solve. That on the one hand, God is absolutely holy, absolutely just, absolutely righteous. And yet on the other hand, he is merciful. He is forgiving. He is loving. And how the two can come together, the Old Testament cannot solve that problem. And we're left with that tension in the Old Testament. And when we come into the new, God solves the problem in his only son, where righteousness and mercy kiss one another and come together in the person of Jesus Christ. That is how we see the justice of God. He gave his only son <coughs> to pour out his justice on him so that you and I can have the promise of Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we see his righteousness here. Roman, I love Romans 4.25 and this is one of those three o'clock in the morning verses. This is a, one of those verses that if I snuck into your house, broke in and woke you up out of a dead sleep at three o'clock in the morning and asked you what this verse means, you should be able to tell me. It should be that close to your heart. You know, that's before you shoot the intruder, but um, you should be able to tell me this out of a dead sleep. It should be this close to your heart. Romans 4, 25, Christ was delivered over because of our transgressions and he was raised because of our justification. And I, and I miss this, I'm sorry. It's actually verse, uh, verse 26 of chapter three. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, watch this, so that God would be just, so that he would be holy, so that he would be just, but so that he would also be the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. God must be both just and the justifier, and he brings these together in Jesus Christ. Righteousness and mercy kiss one another in Christ. That's how we see his justice here. And so, what is just? How do we see God's justice in this verse? And how can I pursue his righteousness in this way? John says, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. He says, in this he loved us, not that we love God, but that he loved us first, therefore love one another. You're never showing the righteousness of God more than when you are loving someone who does not deserve that love. Contra-conditional, against all conditions. What is pure in this text? Now, let's go to the next one. What is, what is pure in this text? What does the word pure mean? It basically means the same thing as holy. In fact, it is the word holy. So what is holy in this text? What is holy in this passage or, or demonstrates holiness? And of course, there are a couple of obvious answers here. God is holy, right? Christ is holy, and what else? You see, God's love, God's love is a holy love. It's not a love that is defined by culture, but it is a love that is defined by his own character. God's love is a holy love. And what's so amazing about that is that his love is extended to the world. Is the world holy? No, but God extends his holy love to unholy people. That's amazing. Holiness means set apart or, or better. It means devoted to God. It means devoted to God. And that's what we see in eternal life, that the eternal life that God gives us is going to be a life that is 100% devoted to him devoted to his purpose, devoted to his glory, devoted to his righteousness. <clears throat> and that eternal life does not begin when we die, but it began the moment we confessed Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So one thing you might ask is, how will I devote my time, my energy, my resources to God today, how can I devote? I've got this big work. I've got this big project at work. I've got this, uh, these, these uh, tasks I have to get done. But how can I do them in a way so that I am doing them devoted and unto the Lord? That I am working everything I put my hand to. I'm doing it mightily as unto the Lord. <coughs> Beloved, you don't have to be a preacher to have a holy vocation. That's one of the things that the Reformation got back to, this separation between clergy and laity. They got rid of that. Martin Luther said that the milkmaid is as holy as the Pope. It created what's called the Protestant work ethic. And this is where it comes from because all of our work, God has ordained that work is holy. And we do work with that understanding that it is devoted to the Lord. That's why Christians ought to be the best employees. That's why Christians ought to be the best students. That's why Christians ought to be the best at everything we do. Why? Because everything we do should be devoted to God. And so what is holy in this passage? God is holy and his love is holy. How can I love others demonstrating this holiness by showing my devotion to God. There's an entire list of things you can do in Romans 12, one. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable unto him, because this is your spiritual act of worship. Everything we do, everything we do is devoted to him. What is lovely about this? What is lovely? What do, you, what do you think of when you think of something that is lovely? It's delightful. It brings joy 
It brings pleasure, right? So looking at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is lovely about that? What brings you delight in that? Think about God's love and about how his love pursued you and that the ultimate demonstration of his love is Christ dying on the cross. I love a hymn, and we haven't introduced it to you yet, but it's hymn called Immovable, Our Hope Remains. And it says that I, I cannot, I, you cannot behold our Savior bleed and doubt his willingness to save. Who can behold our Savior bleed and doubt our willingness to, his willingness to save? What an amazing line. And beloved, you cannot look at Jesus on the cross and not, and, 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 and not know that God loves you. You cannot look at Jesus on the cross and doubt his willingness to save you. Stop looking at yourself. You know why we struggle so much with assurance in our faith? It's because we're looking at ourselves. You're never gonna have assurance of your faith if you keep looking for yourself because guess what? There's nothing in you to assure you. There's nothing you do that can assure you. Look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that started it. He is the one that will bring it to an end. Look to Christ and fall in love with him deeper and deeper and deeper. You cannot know God's love and not fall in love with him. <coughs> he pursued me. And by the way, think about all the ways he did that. How many times did you hear the gospel before you accepted it? I know for me, I grew up hearing the gospel. I knew who God was. I knew what he did. I knew exactly who God was. I, my problem was I hated him. My problem was I was mad at him. And I didn't care what he did. That was my problem. I was an angry kid. And I knew all about the gospel. I could quote it to you. In fact, ironically, when I was lost and living in all kinds of sin, I actually did witness to a couple of my friends. It was, didn't do a whole lot of good. Imagine that. I knew the gospel, I just didn't care. I heard it all my life, grew up with it. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I know what the gospel is. And yet every time I heard that gospel, God never stopped giving it to me again and again and again and again until one day at a church camp when I was 15 years old, I heard the gospel this time and something clicked. And all of a sudden I realized that yeah, I was mad at God, but you know what? He was angry at my sin. I deserved his wrath. I deserved everything that he was gonna do to me. And yet he poured all of that on his only begotten son in my place, not so he could punish me, but so that he could pursue me. And beloved, you start recognizing sin and you start recognizing your accountability, your accountability to sin, grace starts looking very good. Grace starts looking amazing. And I responded to Jesus Christ that night. I didn't even, I didn't even know how. I went up to the counselor and he led me into some prayer. I don't even know what it was, but I came back to my seat. I assume it was some version of the, of the sinner's prayer. I, I couldn't tell you. But I knew something still wasn't right. And just right where I was, I just threw up my hands and I said, Lord, you know who I am. And you know I've hated you my whole life. 
But if you'll still take me, I'm yours. And from that day forward, he's never let me go. Let me ask you a question. Who came into your life? What circumstances did God bring into your life that he used to pursue you? What circumstances did he use? What people did he use? And think about all the little things that worked together that seemed like coincidences. That at the time that you were just like, oh, that's ironic. And yet now you know that there are no accidents in God's creation. That there are no uh, coincidences in God's creation. And now you know that all of those things that seem like chance and happenstance were actually designed by a loving God who is sovereign over all so that he could pursue you. He took those who were his enemies. He adopted them as his own children. And he gave you a place at his table. (coughs) Does that not make you fall in love with Jesus Christ? Does that not make you love God all the more? So what is lovely about this text? What is lovely that we see here? What is commendable about this? What, What is commendable? Something good to speak of. What is commendable here? Something good. God so loved the world. Do they know this? Have they heard? Do they know? How can we get this message out? How can we speak of this message? What is, what is commendable? What is something that is good to speak of here? <clears throat> and who is someone this week that I can speak it to? Who is someone that I can, I can share it with? What can I do that will earn this message a good reputation? What is commendable? What is something that will strengthen my testimony that I can do better this week? How are my actions this week befitting of the gospel? What must I do differently to adorn the gospel of Christ? I gotta hurry. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is excellent? about that, if, it, if there is any excellence. What's excellent about that? What do we mean when we talk about excellence? What are we talking about? What in this passage exceeds all others of its kind? Beloved, I have an excellent wife. I have an excellent wife. You know why she's excellent? Because she exceeds every other wife in this room. Now, husbands, you better disagree with me. (laughs) But she does. She exceeds every wife in this room. I see a couple of you reaching out and grabbing your honey's hand. It's okay, you can do that. (laughs) But (laughs) she exceeds every other wife in this room. What in this text exceeds everything else of this kind? Is there any love on earth that is like the love of our God? Does this not exceed all loves that the world talks about? You know what kind of love the world talks about? How many of you remember this song? Yummy, yummy, yummy. I've got love in my tummy. You remember that? Isn't the love of Christ so much better than something that might be last night's pizza? Isn't the love of Christ so much better than every love on this earth? My wife loves me in spite of me. She's such a good woman. She's such a good wife. But beloved, her love does not compare to the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've never shook my fist at Roxanne, but I shook my fist many times at God. The dimming of the lights just proved it. I've never spat in my wife's face, but there are many times, metaphorically, I spat in the face of Christ. My bad deeds never caused my wife physical pain, 
but it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that he took every lash for. It was my sin that every thorn pierced his head. It was my sin that drove nails in his hands and feet so that every time, literally through arteries, that every time his heart beat, excruciating pain, he felt. How many times, how many beats a minute does your heart do? Excruciating. And beloved, the physical pain does not even compare to the spiritual side of it that we cannot see, that all my sin was laid upon him and he endured it for me. I can't see that part. There is no painting that can capture that. There is no movie that can capture that. Some of you are going to see Jesus next week. I hope to get to see it Wednesday, by the way. I'll tell you how it is. There is no play that can capture that. There's nothing. Is there any love that exceeds the love? Is there any, is there any sacrifice, any gift that exceeds the gift that God gave for you? There is none. And then finally, what is praiseworthy? <clears throat> what is worthy of praise in this text? I don't think we have to think too hard, do we? Do we? Everything that we have said worked our way through this text. And by the way, just a small text like John 3.16, this is one verse in a chapter that has 36 verses. Imagine if you did this through all 36 verses over the course of one month. Just one, one verse a day. Imagine if you did this. You think by the end of that month, you're gonna, you're gonna have a love for God unlike you've ever had before? I think so. That's what meditation does. And when we look at this, what is worthy of praise in this text? Everything we've just talked about, we can now turn that into prayer for God. And we can make that our prayer. In fact, I can't help it. Let's just, let's just do that right now. Let's, let's bow our heads. And I, I've just got to, I've got to respond. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, as we look at these truths, Lord, that you loved us so much. You gave your only son that we who believe in you are never going to perish, but have everlasting life. My God, you are so worthy. You loved me, someone who was not worthy. But in this text, Lord, you show your incredible worth. You are worthy because Christ is the lamb who was slain. He was slain for my sin. He was slain for my brother's and sister's sin. He was slain so that the world may know. But Lord, he was slain for me. A sinner who deserved to die. He had a righteous savior who gave himself in my place. Father, it doesn't show your worth. It, show, it doesn't show my worth. It shows yours. It shows me who you are in spite of who I am. Father, if you had condemned me to hell for all eternity, you would have been absolutely just. You would have been absolutely righteous. You would have been absolutely correct. And yet, Lord, your justice you poured out on Jesus Christ in my place. Your holy justice and your divine love met. You solved the problem that you want to forgive me, but you also must condemn me for my sin. And you solved that in Christ, something I can never do on my own. So, God, you are holy. Christ, you are holy. There is, and Lord, I pray that everything I do today will be devoted to you. That I will begin every moment of my day. I will devote my time and energy, resources to you today. 
Lord, I present myself to you today to be used by you as a living sacrifice because you are worth it. Lord, your love is so delightful. I think of all the ways you pursued me over the years, all the ones you sent in my life. I think of Lynn Steele. I think of Gary Woodard. I think of Jason Brown right, walking beside me on the road that day, offering to give me a ride to church. I think of my grandmother and grandfather who for years prayed for me, even as I laughed at them for doing it. I think of all the ones that you've brought into my life to mentor me or to how you pursued me and how you demonstrated your love. So Father, I know people who need to know this. They need to have this, that your love is more excellent than anything this world has to offer. And Father, the life you give me is more worthy, is better than anything that this, than the empty promises of the world. And so Father, I praise you with all of my heart. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Lord, thank you for everything you've done for me. Just thank you. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. So that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And notice all the different things. I, I wrote this in my, in my sermon note journal. As I meditated through the text this way, I just kind of wrote down everything that came to my mind. Think, uh, think like if you ever did free association writing in school, if you've ever done that, it's, it's, it's similar to that, Okay. Uh, you say, well, we kind of wandered off John 3.16 in a couple of places. That, that's okay. That's okay because every thought that we had led us to deeper thinking about God and what he's done for us. Did you notice that? I didn't, I didn't stay on the text the whole time, but I stayed on God and his love for me the whole time. That, that's what meditation does. So let me give you a, just a couple of real quick, uh, I know we're out of time, so let me give you a couple of real quick um, just points. Number one, um, don't try to get an aha moment, okay? There is no one feeling that is associated with God's presence, okay? There's no one feeling that is associated with God's presence. Uh, trust in his word when he says, lo, I'm with you always till the end of the world. No matter how you're feeling, God is with you. Trust in that, okay? There's not one particular feeling that you're looking for, all right? Um, number two, you say, Randy, that sounds great, but you took the pulpit at about 340, 335. We had longer announcements today, but 340, 345, it is now 11, uh, not three, 1020, 1035. <laughs> it is now 1120. And by the way, there's things I skipped in here. Um, <laughs> Now, you gotta include the introduction in that time, but um, Randy, I, I'm lucky if I get 10 minutes a day. I'm lucky if I get five minutes a day. You know, we all carry these little personal computers in our pockets now, and we're, we're never fully disconnected from work. We're never fully disconnected from, from everything else. I'm lucky if I get five minutes a day. How in the world am I supposed to spend that kind of time? Don't. Here's what I would say. Make better use of your five minutes. Okay, that's it. Make better use of your 10 minutes. Whatever time you have, make better use of it. That, that's, that's, uh, that's what we're aiming for. Use these things that Paul's given us to help you make the best of whatever time you have. And by the way, as you do it more and more, you will notice that that time will grow. You will find that you will have better ability and you'll have more ability to devote more time to this, but I would say just start small, okay? Uh, don't, don't try to do it for an hour at a time because, uh, at least not at first, because, um, uh, because your routine is just too powerful, okay? So, so whatever routine you've got right now, 
fit it into that routine and let it grow, all right? Um, that's what I would suggest. Um, this is more of a teaching sermon this morning. Is there any questions that anyone wants to ask me about this or how to do this? You're, you're allowed to. I, I, know, I know usually we don't talk in the service, but, uh, but you're allowed to this morning. I'm giving you permission, so. Okay. But listen, we did meditate on the Lord's love for you this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that love, you don't know Christ as your savior, maybe something or said we're done, or maybe something I said uh, clicked in you like it did for me that year at camp, okay? So I don't ever, I don't wanna leave without giving you an opportunity to respond to that. So let, let's stand. Let's ask our musicians to come forward. And I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads and uh, close your eyes. We've, we've meditated a lot on the word this morning. And so I just want to ask you just to, just to kind of reflect. Um, you know, the great thing about these questions is that you don't have to memorize them. If you have a Bible with, them, with you, you've got them. Okay, if you have it on your phone, you've got these questions. And so that's the great thing. You carry them with you everywhere you go if you have a Bible on your phone, which I, I hope you do. And so... Um, so take this with you, use it as a tool. It is, only, it is one tool. There are other tools that are good, okay? Not discounting that. If you have a method of meditation that already works for you, I'm not telling you to change, okay? But I imagine most of us in here probably struggle with it. And so I just wanna give you a tool this morning to help you. But if you're here this morning and maybe something about the gospel has clicked in your heart, and you wanna respond, I do wanna give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you have helped us to know your word. I know I've taken a little extra time this morning to demonstrate this, but Lord, I pray it's been fruitful. I pray that it's been helpful. And whatever the case may be, may someone use it that their lives may more glorify you. And what could be more glorifying this morning than someone who is lost coming home to Jesus Christ? I pray all of this in your name, amen. Let's, uh, let's sing without him, just one verse together. And if you do want to talk or if you have a, a need that you would like to pray for, please come on down. I would love to take this morning uh, to tell you about Christ. But uh, let's sing a, a verse of without him this morning and then we'll call that. Good.